Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of Ephesians. Today's episode 622, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Let's read our passage. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. This is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Paul's in Rome. He's in this two-year imprisonment that we see at the end of the book of Acts. And he's sending out some letters. He's sending Tychicus to Colossae, accompanying Onesimus. And he's sending letters to Philemon, the owner of the escaped slave Onesimus. But he's also sending a letter to the church at Colossae. And on the way, he's going to pass through Ephesus. And so he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. This letter is primarily to the Gentiles in the church to lift them up and give them a sense of what an incredible thing has happened through the gospel in that Gentiles can be reconciled with God. Chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians is this doctrine where he's really talking about the, uh, the theology of salvation with a Focus on the Gentiles. It's an incredible thing that happened. This mystery, which was hidden through the ages, but has now been revealed through Christ, that everyone can be reconciled with God through Christ. And then chapters 4 through 6 are the application of that, or the practice, how to live that out. And we started that last time. We looked at chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, where he talked about, okay, the first thing to take away from all this theology is love for one another, and unity. That is, you guys as a church and the church universal are called to love one another and live together in unity. And that unity only occurs through the Holy Spirit. Left to our own devices, we will not live in unity or even love one another. And all that is only available through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now he's continuing this idea of unity and the ultimate example of unity is the Trinity. And so I thought today we'd take a, a simple little tour and talk about the Trinity. I say that tongue-in-cheek because the Trinity is not simple. Well, let me take that back. In some ways, it is simple. Simple to state, hard to understand. The three truths of the Trinity are God is three persons, each person is fully God. There is one God. In that case, it's simple. Those three things are true. What makes it hard is put those three things together in our brains. That's where we have difficulty with it. Now, the word Trinity doesn't occur in the Bible. So it's a word that is used to describe this idea of God is three persons. Each person is fully God. And there is one God. Trinity just means three in oneness. Where there's three, but there's one. The, the difficult thing is then putting that together in our brains. Now, God the Father. That's obvious through the entire Bible. There is God who is referred to as God the Father. God the Son. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. That's easy to demonstrate in the New Testament. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that's very clear through the rest of John's prologue that it means the Word is Jesus Christ. And he began there in John 1, 1, the Word was God. 
There's several places in the New Testament that's very blatant here about the divinity of Jesus Christ. One other obvious one is in John 20, 18, where Jesus appears after his resurrection to Thomas. Thomas wasn't with the group when Jesus first appeared to them. And Thomas said, well, unless I can stick my fingers in the holes in his hand and my hand in the hole in his side, I'm not going to believe. Then Jesus appears to him and Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus didn't correct him. We see in one of John's other writings, Revelation, that when John bows to the angels, the angels say, get up, don't worship us. We are created beings just like you. And Jesus does not correct Thomas, but instead commends Thomas for his faith. So it's, it's pretty easy to demonstrate through the New Testament the divinity of Jesus. So we have God the Father, God the Son. God the Holy Spirit, it's a little more subtle, but it's easy enough to demonstrate if you really look at it. And for me, the biggest takeaway is just the number of times you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together like that. So if the Holy Spirit was not a divine person, one of the three, then it wouldn't be referred to that way because you wouldn't say God the Father, God the Son, and Michael the Archangel. It doesn't fit in the same category. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. The Old Testament gives hints of this idea of multiple persons in the Godhead in the beginning with Genesis when God creates people and says, let us make man in our image. Obviously, he's not speaking to the angels because they weren't involved in creation and people weren't created in the image of angels. And there's other hints throughout the Old Testament where you see their God speaking in the plural of himself or of multiple aspects of God being used in the same statement. And some of those are quoted in the New Testament. So this is not to give an in-depth uh, lesson on the Trinity, but I have to explain it a little bit because this passage we're looking at today is the Trinity. Now, the biggest takeaway is the Trinity is a mystery. It is hard to understand. And people try to come up with simple explanations for it of, well, it's, it's like me. I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, and I'm also a son. No, that falls apart real quickly because there's just one me. Where you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons. But each one is fully God, but there is one God. Some want to say, well, it's uh, this one God that appears in different forms. Well, in the New Testament, you see them talking to each other, and that falls apart. So the Trinity is a mystery, and we just got to be okay with that. The fact that it's hard to understand, I'm okay with the fact that I cannot fully comprehend the nature of God. There's a whole lot of things in the universe that I have trouble comprehending. So the one who created the universe, the fact that I can't fully comprehend him, I'm okay with that. A lot of people can't fully comprehend how a refrigerator works, but they still use it and trust that it will keep their food cold. Others say, well, I don't have a refrigerator works. Well, there's something you don't know how it works. You understand how quantum mechanics works? Yet you still live in the universe. You understand how cells replicate? You describe it, take pictures of it, but you understand actually how it works and why it works? 
There's a whole lot of things we don't understand that we're entirely comfortable with. But when it comes to the Trinity, that's one of the things we do struggle with because we do want to understand it. And it's okay to study it. It's okay to try to understand it more. But what we've got to grasp is it is a mystery. And I'm okay with that. The more I learn about the Trinity, the more I'm okay with how little I do comprehend it because I trust the Lord and trust and I trust the, the Bible, his revelation to us. This passage today, before we go through it again, I want to look at a similar passage in 1 Corinthians. Now, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians about four or five years earlier when he was in Ephesus writing to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6, he says, Now there are different gifts with the same Spirit. There are different ministries with the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. A little later in verses 12 and 13, he says, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we're all given one spirit to drink. So we say a lot of the same words as we have here in Ephesians chapter 4 about the one body, one spirit, one Lord, one God, one baptism. Let's go back into Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, and we'll look at it again. Verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. So here you have one body, one spirit, one hope. Now, this is just following the section where he talked about unity in the Spirit. So, naturally, he begins with the Spirit here. We have this unity of the body of Christ, this unity that we have through the Holy Spirit. So, here he picks it up again, one body and one Spirit. So, we have the unity of the body through the one Holy Spirit. And that hope, that's the, the faith we have, we all have the same faith, the same hope, in what God is doing. Then verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Not 100%, but the vast majority of the time when the New Testament writers use Lord, they're referring to Jesus Christ. And so here he's referring to Jesus Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now faith, one faith. Faith can be used a couple of different ways. Faith can mean the body of truth where we talk about the faith being that which we believe, or it can be more the object of our belief, faith being trusting Christ. I think the context is the latter, trusting Christ, but you can't divorce that from the body of truth because that's what we're believing about Christ. Then one baptism. What was that? Spiritual baptism or water baptism? Well, I don't think he's referring to it in either way, really. I think a good way to understand this statement, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, is there is one Lord in whom we all believe and in whose name we have all been baptized. Speaking here of unity, this is the theme, unity. Unity of the body of Christ. So what makes the unity of the body? The Holy Spirit brings that about. Our common faith in Christ is what brings that about, which is our common hope. And so the theme is unity. 
And verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So here, verses 4, 5, and 6, we see the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and God the Father. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And even in verse 6, I'm not sure he intends this, but some say, okay, one God and Father of all. Well, by Father of all, he's referring to Jews and Gentiles, of the, the unity of the body. But who is above all, okay, through all. Elsewhere, he talks about what God has done. He's Everything he's done, he's done through Jesus Christ. And in all, is that making a reference to the Holy Spirit? So, one God, and that God is the Father of all. And through all, speaking of Jesus Christ. And in all, speaking of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. It works, but I'm not sure if that's the intent of it. But what we see here is the Trinity. And it's not a standalone thing. I quoted from 1 Corinthians where Paul uses almost the same words, not in the same order, but the same words, the same ideas, the unity of the body of Christ, that is Christians unified in our common belief, our common trusting in God. And what brings us together and provides that unity is the Holy Spirit. And our common faith is faith in Jesus Christ in whom we are all baptized, and through it all we have this one God, Father of all, who is in charge of everything. So he began with the unity of the body of Christ. The ultimate supreme example of unity is the unity of the Godhead, the unity of the Trinity, and how we interact with all three aspects of the Trinity. God's the one who invented salvation. Jesus is the one who provides salvation, and the Holy Spirit's the one who brings us into salvation. And so we experience the entire Trinity when we come to faith and are reconciled with God. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through Ephesians.